Welcome everyone to Kafaru Cast. Um, Aaron Snyder with my partner in crime, Frank the Tank. Hello, Frank. Your eyes looking lovely today. It's, it's getting better. It's I'm at a point where it's not swollen, so the ladies love it. It's kind of like having a black eye is like having a little dog around. In fact, any single male looking for a female companion should have <laughs> a small dog or a black eye, yeah. one or the other. Yep. It's like a magnet. The chick at the archery range yesterday, she was loving it. She was loving it, actually. She was there with her boyfriend, which was kind of awkward, though. So, ladies. Yes. <laughs> Single ladies only. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lordy. So today, uh, one of the things we wanted to start doing was like uh, an answer a question day or an answer a question podcast once a week of just uh, listeners that write in um, questions that they have about anything. Um Dating advice, probably not going to be able to help you on that one. Um, I'm terrible at that. Not so good at dressing myself. Uh, my daughter or Amy helps me out with that. Um, but anything to do with maybe hunting, arrow building, fishing, something like that, tactics, we can help you out. So we just have a list of a bunch of questions. Frank's got some. I've got some that we're going to read off um, in no specific order. So uh, here we go. The first one that I have um, I'll paraphrase here, but basically, hey, Aaron, I'm looking at getting new boots. Uh, curious why you wear such a stiff boot. Uh, aren't those loud, and wouldn't it be better for stocking to wear a softer boot? Uh, please explain. Uh, so I wear a super stiff boot uh, for the most part. Now, I don't, you know, when I was in, when I was hunting antelope in Alberta, um, I wear a flexible boot. It's not super, super stiff. Uh, the reason why I, let me backdate quickly. I remember at one point in time, me wearing uh, a, a super stiff logging boot, like a, a white or a Wesco, and I got um, used to those, and then, and I wore those for hunting, I wore them for everything, um, couldn't afford anything else anyway, and then, uh, you know, I started, got, you know, got out of, um, got into more of a big city, and I was seeing a lot of like Danners and Mendels, uh, Merrill, um, and they just, most of them pretty much just sucked. Basically they fell apart. I had a set of pronghorn, super comfortable leaked like a sieve. Um, and so I was trying to research and where my mistake was nothing wrong with, with South Cox and, and, uh, Cameron Haynes. I read an article or something that they wrote or a video. I can't remember where, um, Cameron was, uh, wearing stiff boots, kind of like what I was wearing and South was wearing, I think Dan or pronghorns. And he just said, yeah, I'm just used to them getting, um, eaten up a bit. Uh, the one thing that I didn't consider when I was um, kind of making my decision is a couple seasons I wore like a Solomon tennis shoe um, or a uh, like a super flexible, like a Dan or Pronghorn um, was the amount of weight I could carry compared to someone else, um, meaning having a flexible boot with not a lot of support uh, made my arches drop and I went from a size 11 to where now I'm actually almost a 12 and a half. Um, and so it screwed up my feet. I got plantar fasciitis, um, which is horrible. And so I found a, uh, a boot that I really liked, which was a Scarpa Triolet. Um, and I've pretty much stuck with those Triolets. I use them for almost everything. Um, they are way more of a boot than you need for elk hunting. Um, but I'm able to climb more cause I get less fatigue on my calves and my legs because I'm not bending my foot as much, but they are loud. Now I do have to drop my boots sometimes for a stock. Um, I may or I have not yet blown out an animal that I know of because my boots were too loud. 
but they, they are loud. And so for me, I personally, my recommendation is for someone to try as many boots on as they possibly can to make sure they get the right fit. Meaning majority of the part, usually guys get toe pinch or heel rub from, from what I've found. Um, find a boot that's going to fit you, uh, you know, fit is the key and then figure out if you like a stiff boot, um, or a flexible boot. And you're always going to almost always going to like a flexible boot first. Uh, you know, when you initially put it on, it, uh, it, it breaks in easier. It's more comfortable. It's like wearing a slipper. So when I say try it out, I mean, put 50, 60, 70 pounds in your pack and, and hike for 10 to 12 miles if you can to see if that, uh, uh, that, you know, that, that flexible boot starts to, you know, fall off the edge to the shitty side and the stiffer boot starts to rise to the top of the happy side. For me, because we backpack hunt so much and because uh, I need a more durable boot, because I even shred mountaineering boots, um, I go for a stiff boot because of the, I can climb faster, less leg fatigue, uh, more foot support, less problems with plantar fasciitis. I like a super stiff boot. Um, as far as what boot I wear, right now I'm wearing Scarpa Charmous Triolets Rebel Pros. Those are my super stiff boots. I also have a set of Scarpa Zodiacs. Um, I, and, and I have a bunch of different footwear. Um, La Sportiva Trangos. Um, is it the Cube? Which one's the one? Trango Cube, yeah. Trango Cube. Right? Is that the red one? The, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a bunch. Uh, I wore a bunch of crispies. Uh, the the one crispy I did really like was a Brix doll, and then I have another set beside me that I'm trying out. Um, that uh, that I think I'm going to like. I got to wear them a bit more. Um, but there's been a big. Uh, anytime a company gets a lot of publicity, where like crispy has, there's gonna be a lot of haters that go along with it. I personally, I like a stiff boot. Crispy doesn't really offer a stiff boot in the North American line like I like. Now, that Brickstall was okay for a happy medium boot, but I'm the odd one. And so, you know, for me, um, it, it uh, how would I put this? Trying to convince someone to put a stiff boot on that's like wearing a ski boot compared to putting on a slipper is a difficult sell, but... I like stiff, I like durable, I like waterproof. That's what I go with. Now, Frank, you are almost identical to me with what you wear, except you wear Salewa. Yeah, when I first when I first started here, before I started here, I was I was wearing flexible boots, and I the one boot I, I that was working out pretty well for me was the Solomon uh, Quest Quest Four D. Um, yeah, those those worked out well, but uh, I had never tried a, a stiff boot before, so you'd let me borrow a pair of. Um, on Vogs, I can't remember which one they were. They're their lightweight model. Mountain lights. Yeah, the mountain lights. Um, <laughs> actually, those particular pair were a little bit too small for me, so I got uh, some crazy heel rub. And if you look at my Instagram page, like my early posts, there's a picture. <laughs> I like bled through my socks. and It was bad. Yeah, it was pretty bad. But once I got a proper fit, um, I don't think I'll go back to, uh, to a flexible boot for any type of mountain hunting. It's like you were saying, the the relief on calf and calf fatigue and, and leg fatigue and, and the arches, um, for me at least, it, it's something that I I like a lot that it's offered with a with a stiff boot. Um, <clears throat> kind of drives me crazy when I, I always see on these uh, hunting hunting pages on Facebook when people ask what's the best boot, and then you'll get you know you'll get like two hundred 
posts of every and technically everyone is full of shit that yeah, even answers yeah. except the guys yeah. that actually say fit is everything fit yeah. is key and whenever i mean a lot of people ask me that through either through email what what boot do you suggest or what should i look at and i just i say the same thing as you go to go to a mountaineering shop or go, even if it's maybe even if it's rei go and try on as many boots as possible and see what fits your foot because i have like a a super flat foot but a narrow heel and I found that those um, the Soleil was a fit me best, so I don't really plan on changing out of those. Um, I'm kind of a guy that once I find something that works, I have a hard time switching out and trying other stuff. I'm in um, the same boat, dude. It's hard for me to leave Scarpa. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and I don't, and I'll tell people, yeah, I use I use these Soleil was, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna work. It's gonna work for you. Um, I think there's like a weird thing with a lot of people that like a weird pride thing that whatever they use is the best and. Um, that's why they always post that shit on Facebook. Like, you know, this is the best boot. Like, I'm not, I don't ever post anything on those. I don't say, you know, Slay was the best or Scarp is the best or this and that. Um, it really, something as important as boots, you really just, you need to, to try on as many boots as possible if you have the resources available to you and see what works for your foot. Um, but in regard to the stiff boot thing, I, I really prefer a stiffer boot for um, for all the mountain hunting. I do have those uh, Salewa, I think, what are they, mountain trainers, I think? Yep, yep. Um, I like to use those for coyote hunting and, and stuff when I go out east into the plains and, and antelope hunting. So that's, that's where I don't really need a, a stiff boot. So that's basically the only time I'll wear something that's more flexible. Um, but, yeah, the, the stiff boot thing has been a game changer to me. But, um, yeah, when I when I got that heel rub, I, I ended up having to uh, – it wasn't really healing up. So you called uh, the Lathrop and Sons guys and they said to put Epsom salts on it. And holy shit, that flipping hurt. <laughs> <laughs> so I put Epsom salts on it and it dried it out. That was the problem. It just wasn't drying out and it wasn't, you know, it was just like an open wound basically. So I had to put Epsom salts on it and it dried it out and then it finally started to heal. But I got two gnarly scars in the back of my heels. So um, proper boot fit is super important. Um, and uh, it's something that I think for especially for like new mountain hunters and backcountry hunters, it's something that that's overlooked. And I think it's one of your most important pieces of gear aside from like you know your pack and stuff like that. But boots are you know they're going to get you in and get you out of the out of the backcountry. So it's something that shouldn't be overlooked. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, I will say that is one boot I'm interested in uh, trying is that Lathrop and Sons uh, new model that they have. Um, I know a bunch of people that have worn it. Um, it's a stiff boot. I think I can't remember what the expert elite or I don't know what the hell it is. They but have either a couple way, models of it. Yeah, yeah, th I, that is one I'm interested in trying. The La Sportiva. Um, what's the one that w was like a rainbow color? It looked like she'd be wearing it in Boulder. That's the. Those are the um, La Sportiva. Yeah, but the Trango. Trango something. Yeah. yeah, that one actually they've got a red one now that isn't quite as bad. That fits my foot really well. Um, as far as top of the line. Uh, boot companies. Um, I can't speak for the one Lathropinson comes out because I haven't used, but ones I know, um, Scarpa, Salewa, La Sportiva, those three are Loa. really, really good. Well, that's the second tier. Um, oh, gotcha. And this is my own personal opinion. Um, I, I would say those are the top three um, for me. And then um, the Lawa is a good one, um, Crispy, and a Solo or Asolo, depending. <laughs> The uh, the rep at REI corrected me and said it's not a solo, it's Asolo. And I say, well, you're in America, and and by default, <laughs> if there's ass on anything, it's going to get made fun of. So it's it's a solo here, but Asolo and uh, Merrill makes a decent boot. 
Um, I'm sure I'm missing some. And then you get uh, Solomon is another one. And then, you know, obviously the stiff, flexible. Almost every company makes a stiff boot and almost every company makes flexible boots. They have to to stay in business. That's just going to be a personal choice. So um, on to the next topic before we run into five hours talking about boots. Uh, the next one. Um, I'm going to just throw this in. This was several questions ahead with socks and I'll, I'll make this quick. I have tried many, many different socks, darn tough and fits were my top two. Uh, and it's, I think it's F I T Z. Uh, it might be, F I should probably look, but darn tough and fits. And then the new one that I really like, um, Kindle card turned me on to is farm defeat, the Damascus, um, those all those three socks are great. Darn tough has a lifetime warranty. I've never used it because I think it's pretty petty to wear a sock for five years yeah. and send it back. But those three merino wool blend socks are my favorite. Frank, um, I've worn darn tough, and uh, the ones I like a lot and I wear them almost all the time is the uh, first light compression athlete socks. Yeah, yep, yeah, those I are like, good. I like those a lot. I, I'm not, I haven't looked into the science of compression socks or anything, but from what I understand, they kind of help keep lactic acid from building up in your calves and stuff like that. Is that true? Yeah, it can. It helps, uh, you know, basically push out um, your blood or helps for blood flow, I guess. Yeah. I've, I mean, so that's, I wear those like 95% of the time, so I can't really speak to any of the other companies, but I I really like those a lot. And, and my problem, I have uh I have giant calf muscles and it's hard to get a sock to fit. That's not a quitter. And I will say that that's one reason the darn tough fits, um, and farm defeat. They, um, even though they don't go up over my calf, I have to wear lower ones. They don't quit on me or don't bunch down. So, uh, durability, obviously quality, comfort, all that stuff, but they also f actually fit me and don't, don't, you know, get sucked down. So, um, so yeah, those three, I definitely can sign off on as well as the first light compression socks. I gave you all mine um, just because of the, the calf issue I have, mm -hmm. but I wore um, I wore those probably half the time last year, and they're an amazing sock as well. So yeah, I'm pretty well stocked up on socks for oh, for yeah. a while now. Yeah. I do I do tend to inherit a lot of your your gear. Yeah, I we get a lot of gear to test, and and I do, and I buy a lot of gear, and. Mm, we're actually getting ready to do a large gear dump, so stay tuned to our Instagram and <laughs> Facebook pages because there's a pile of crap I need to get a re get rid of um, optics and everything else. But uh, so yeah, um, I think uh, go with those three or four. You're not going to have any issues. Um, uh, the next question, uh, Aaron, why do you? Holy cow, this one's a little difficult to read. Ah. Uh, uh, I'm going to patch a couple things in here because there's not a lot of commas. Um, he's asking why I shoot such a heavy arrow. How important is front of center? Why do I use four fletch? All right, basically, why do I shoot the arrow that I shoot? Um, so um, without going into specifics on which company, I'll do that at the end here of, of what type of arrow. I shoot an extremely heavy arrow. One of the reasons... Um, I started off shooting tournaments like in the late 90s, and the tournaments that I shot had a speed limit of 280 plus or minus 3%. Um, and so I got used to shooting a bow at 280 feet per second. And as weird, this is probably mental, as weird as it sounds, I got used to the arc of that arrow, meaning um, within reason, I know, you know the arc branches it's going to hit or whatever if I'm not able to range certain things in front of me on the way to an animal. 
and I'm just comfortable with that. Uh, another reason I shoot a heavy arrow, it makes your bow quieter. Um, flat out, you shoot an arrow that weighs 380 grains, you shoot one that weighs 500 grains, guaranteed you are going to see a noticeable difference in bow noise. It's, it's just a fact. Uh, the next thing is flat out momentum. Don't worry about as much about kinetic energy, but momentum. I like a decent amount of point weight, um, you know, for um, the, I guess, to, to carry through, right? If you have weight on the front of your arrow, it's going to help punch through more. And I'm going to try and, you know, make this as simple as possible uh, the way that I explain it. If you put weight on the end of your arrow, when the arrow hits, it's that pressure from that weight pushing forward would make the arrow flex. So obviously flip that. Um, you're not going to get as much flex in your arrow losing penetration or getting oscillation in the arrow. Um, that's probably a poor way of explaining it. So I try to shoot, well, I always shoot 125 broadheads. I generally try to have 40 to 75 grains up front. This has nothing to do with because of front of center. I don't check my front of center. I don't give a shit about front of center. I just, because, and the reason why is I already know my front of center is going to be plenty high just because I'm loading up the front with weight. I don't pay attention to where it's 9, 10, 11, 12, 13%. Um, mostly because I don't have to. Um, I just flat out, I shoot a lot of poundage, 29 inch draw, and my arrows are super heavy. Um, if, uh, oh, I'm getting another question as we're talking. Um, so I shoot po heavy point weight and I try to shoot 10 and a half to 11 and a half grains per inch on my arrow. So right now, um, my current arrow setup. Um, I have two different types. I have a, um, Easton, um, and it's a, like there's, Easton makes a ton of different shafts. Um, I, Frank, you're shooting, what's the one you're shooting? I have the FMJ injections. Injections. And those are skinnies. They're, yeah. they're skinny shafts. Um, the ones that I have and Frank, you shot them for a while, didn't you? Yeah. Those are the ones you have are five millimeter axis. 260s and 340s. Right, and the 340s you had for a while, and the, the 260s are what I started out with. Um, so I, the the axis, and then I have um, a 125 up front. Some of them have 50 grain inserts. Some of them have standard inserts, and then I have four fletch on the back end with uh, AAE Max Stealths. The other I have is a Black Eagle Carnivore. I have a 42 grain brass insert in those with 125 up front, four fletch in the back of the same thing, AAE Max Stealth. Um, I, I tried Spartans a little bit from Black Eagle. I didn't like them as much as the carnivores, but either way, I, I prefer people to shoot an arrow weighing more than 450 grains um, just for the simple fact for momentum. Um, you know, shooting the trad bow last year, shooting a whopping 178 or 80 feet per second with a 580 grain arrow. Um, yeah, I still blew through things because of a cut on contact broadhead, which is another question we'll go into in a minute. So I like to shoot a stiff arrow, generally one spine column lower than what is suggested. Um, and, and what I'm saying by that is if you go off your your cam type, your draw length, um, your poundage, all that stuff. If you follow the across and it says to shoot a 300, I will always bracket down and go with a 250. Um, and so I always had better luck tuning a stiffer arrow rather than a weaker one. Um, and with the point weight, it weakens the spine of the arrow. So I always go a stiffer spine because I end up adding quite a bit of point weight, which go, you go over that during in the spine chart. 
Um, I shoot four fletch. Um, I don't shoot helical. I shoot a straight clamp or straight vein, but I shoot it offset. I don't know what degrees it is. It's just maxed out. It's probably three degree offset. Um, I shoot four fletch mostly because of stability. I don't have to, um, meaning I don't, I can get plenty of stabilization with three fletch. I just like four. It gives extra stabilization. You can't knock it upside down, no matter which way you knock it. When you knock it to your string, it's always correct. So obviously I'm in the heavier arrow weight category, um, uh, and point heavy point weight category. I don't go crazy like 700 grains. Generally my arrows weigh five to 600 grains for my compound. And I'm generally shooting 78 to 85 pounds. Um, Frank, what's your setup? Um, so I'm, I just switched over my Synergy Hybrid to the uh, the injection FMJs. I think I weighed it the other day and they were 492 grains, just 125 grain tip with their standard aluminum insert, um, four inch wraps with uh, Veintech Super Spine four fletch. Um, they seem to be flying great. I haven't used them on an animal or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> on my Prime Rival, I was running the the Carnivore. 250s with 125 up front and the brass insert and then a four fletch q2 uh what are these called fusion Hold on, I got them right here. fusion x2 three inch veins um, four fletch on those no wraps um i've had good luck with both of them but i kind of wanted to switch over to easton uh isaac elman who works for easton's a, a great friend of ours and uh i kind of wanted to, to support support Easton a little bit more since he's a he's somebody that I like and I, I really like their arrows anyway and one thing I really like about those FMJ arrows is they're so easy to pull out of the target man gosh so not that that's like a major selling point but it is kind of convenient and and people do get worried about speed like you're probably shooting shooting 270 right now um yeah, I haven't th- I haven't shot through the chrono with the with the new arrows but yeah I would guess somewhere that around that range and I think you'll find like if you I don't get uh, nor do most of the guys that um, shoot with me or I shoot with them. We don't get too wrapped up into speed. We don't get too wrapped up into FOC. We just shoot a relatively heavy arrow again with he- relatively heavy point weight. Um, you know, the I won't say that speed is a moot point at all because obviously, yeah, animal duck in the string is everything else. But I would say bow noise will outweigh within reason speed. If your bow is quiet it will be far more important than if your bow is fast. Um, it's not to say you can't have a fast, quiet bow. Um, I just think having a quiet bow is more important than having a speed demon bow. Generally, speed demon bows are also hard to shoot. Um, uh, and they're loud, right? Yeah, they're, they're generally loud and they're generally hard to shoot, um, you know, in comparison to, um, you know, a, a little bit slower, more forgiving bow. I also shoot uh, longer axle-to-axle bows generally, although this year... Whatever, with that synergy, I shoot the crap out of that synergy, and it's short, so I shouldn't say always, but um, generally I try to shoot a little bit longer bow, and I have a synergy and a synergy hybrid. Um, So, yeah, uh, I think uh, we pretty much covered that. Um, uh, Am I forgetting anything? I'm um umming a lot. Oh, broadheads. Oh, okay. Ah, we can cover that. Ah, might as well cover it now. Got about 400 questions on broadheads. Um, Personally... I'm shooting right now like four or five different types of broadheads. Uh, luckily, with this, I've never been able to do this before with this prime. I can shoot a NAP kill zone, grave digger, cut on contact, Greg Griver, Greg Diver, Greg 
good lord. Gravedigger chisel tip. <laughs> um, Rocky Mountain specialty gear, cutthroat, iron will, outfitter's head, um, a striker, and a dead meat from G5. All of them hit the same 80 to 100. Took a little bit of tuning, um, but all of them hit the same. When people, you know, it, it's not a blanket answer. It's like the footwork, you know, question, footwear answer. What broadhead should I shoot? Well, if you're not shooting a heavy arrow um, and uh, you need penetration's an issue, probably shouldn't shoot, um, you know, a mechanical broadhead. Uh, in a perfect world, a, a fixed blade broadhead is going to be best and you're going to get more penetration out of it where you're, you know, like somebody, like an NAP kill zone, that is not a broadhead for everybody. The thing is a momentum sucker. Uh, it, I mean, even I don't get passed through sometimes. Yeah. Uh, give you an idea. One animal I shot this year with a kill zone, uh, 52 yards, did not pass through, left a massive entry hole, um, but it sucked. Out. And this is out of a bow shooting 288 with a 500 grain arrow. It did not pass through. Killed it. I mean, dead's dead. But you take same bow setup, different arrow. I shot the, the one animal with a carnivore, different arrow setup. I was shooting um, an axis at my mule deer in Alberta. Shot that with a uh, cutthroat broadhead, basically solid machined. Um, uh, it's it's uh, what how would I put it? The way that the bevel works on this is it is a bone splitter, meaning as it hits the bone, it rotates and cracks the bone. That you're not going to get that with a uh, a mechanical. So with this cutthroat, it was a 125. I shot that same distance, just about. Um, Blew through the meatiest part of the onside shoulder because it was bedded. Uh, blew straight through it, broke the opposite side leg bone in half, and kept going. Never found the arrow. Um, that is the difference between a penetrating cut-on contact fixed blade and a chisel tip, basically momentum-sucking kill zone. I love the kill zone broadhead. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Not everybody should shoot it. Somebody shooting a 380-grain arrow at 280 feet per second not going to get a lot of penetration with that head. He probably should shoot a fixed blade. Um, out of all of those broadheads, I don't, if I was going to say a negative side, let's say to a striker, I don't think there is one. The striker's a great broadhead. Um, the dead meat, super accurate. Thing rattles like crazy. There's yeah, only downside. Well, it sounds like you're, I mean, when you shoot your bow, the, it just rattles. Um, you had the same problem, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and in regard to the to the broadheads, I've I've pretty much tried this the same ones that you have. Um, and I I really like those kill zones. They just they fly like a flipping dart, and they're super accurate. Uh, but yeah, the uh, for whatever reason those those dead meats they do kind of rattle a bit in the quiver. And when you shoot, when you have a quiver full of dead meats, it sounds like a I don't know what something. It just it just rattles um, pretty bad. But um, they fly great. Uh, I saw Phil was using them this year, and he killed a few animals with them, so he really liked them. So I like to um, ask a bunch of people on what they're using and see what works for them. But uh, I really like those kill zones. Um, since I switched over to the Deep Six arrows, there's not nearly as many options. Um, so I, I have some iron wheel broadheads for, for fixed blades, which, man, those things are crazy accurate. But uh, will, for whatever reason, I think because they're vented, they're just loud. Um, so and yeah, being completely honest, they're they're an awesome broadhead. They're just loud. Uh, it kind of sounds like a jet taking flight. <laughs> oh, with the iron wheel. Yeah, uh, but they they, they are. I, it, it it's tough because they are so freaking accurate, but mm -hmm. they whistle. Um, 
you know, coming from, uh, you know, shooting them myself that I've never seen a, uh, well, I won't say that the cutthroats are just as accurate. They are a very accurate broadhead. They penetrate like crazy. They're built uh, like a tank. Yeah. They're just, uh, I, I mean, if I had to, it would be difficult to pick between the two because the, the cutthroat it's cheaper. Um, you know, spirit of full candor here, try not to piss anyone off. The cutthroat's cheaper. Um, and it's a solid machine one piece. It will out penetrate, especially when it hits bone, just about anything, just from the dynamics of the broadhead. Um, you know, so if you had to pick one, I mean, I guess that would be a tough decision because they're both have pros and cons. Um, you know, as far as it's hard to beat for durability, a machine one piece, um, fixed by broadhead. It's just, it's just durable. Yeah, and then uh, I think I'm going to try out some Schwacker 125s for the Deep Six. Schwacker. Schwacker, Levi Morgan, shout out. Just kidding. Um, I haven't heard too much about those. I've, I mean, I've asked, I asked you the other day, and you said they're they're pretty good good heads. Well, they, so they were actually called a Sonoran broadhead years ago, like early 2000s, and then Schwacker brought them, bought them out. Um, shows you how long I've been shooting a bow. Um, it was made by a guy in Arizona, I think. Um and uh coos deer hunter or whatever and he actually came up with the original design and i've shot them before they do leave a devastating hole yep so that's what i'm gonna try out um i'm i know there's there's other deep six options but i'm gonna give those a shot for a while and then try some other stuff out and like you were kind of saying in other podcasts and and stuff we we do have the we're kind of fortunate that we have the option to try out all this different stuff so happy to to provide feedback that we have on on the on the gear yeah, no, for, for sure. Um, kind of going through the, the list, you know, the, the dead meat's extremely accurate, put a pretty good hole in stuff, but they do rattle in the quiver. So if you have a, where you can push them into foam, it's kind of a moot point, but if it's a quiver like I'm running and they just flat out rattle, then it could be a problem. Um, the, uh, the grave diggers, both the chisel tip and the cut on contact, both great broadheads. I think the Quality has gone downhill a little bit since um, whoever took over the company. The blades break, uh, the expandable blades seem to break a little bit easier um, than before, but they, it's a good broad head as well. Um, and those are the, you know, the, the, the heads I've been shooting um, as well as Frank. And uh, yeah, they're, they're great. So as, as far as if you're shooting lighter weight, if you're shooting uh, lighter weight arrows, you should probably shoot a cut on contact. If shooting heavier weight with a heavier arrow, you can get away with pretty much whatever you want. Um, I would just say if you can get a fixed blade broadhead to tune, shoot a fixed blade. If you're having trouble getting one to tune or you're getting better grouping, um, I do not have a problem with mechanicals. I've had one fail. Um, it was a Grim Reaper on an elk four or five years ago. It didn't open. Yeah, Other than that, everything I've hit with a mechanical has been devastating. Um, I've never had issues, but I'm, I'm a unique case because of the amount of momentum and heavy poundage I shoot heavy arrow. Now you had, uh, multiple Grim Reapers fail <laughs> on you, didn't you? Um, yeah. And I was, I was talking to the guys at the bow shop the other day and they said they've kind of, they've changed something to where they're not having issues with the, with the, uh, I think it was the fatal steel. Initially with their first run of the fatal steel, they weren't opening. And that's kind of what I had trouble with. I, shot a you cow and first batch i think i'd given them to you right yeah, yeah good so, friend i am yeah thanks a lot a-hole no uh i had some trouble with uh with them opening on an elk so i hadn't really tried them out since so i can't really say on how they're how they're going now but 
from what I've heard, they've improved uh, substantially. So who knows? Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So the, um, the next question I have here is, um, Aaron, I noticed you switched from First Light to Sitka. Was this a sponsorship thing or was this a personal choice? Do you actually like Sitka better? Or I guess, what would you tell a person buying clothing uh, with a large budget but only wants to buy one time? Uh, oh, that's very nice. By the way, I've been watching you for years. Um, thanks for everything you do. Tell Tort hello. Tort? Hello. Hello. Uh, <laughs> so, um, the without getting into too much detail on the whole switch from First Light, because I don't want to dive into that ball of shit um the uh it was a sponsorship thing um to a certain degree meaning um i guess first light and, and and brian had chosen not to work together sitco wanted to work with brian um uh i i mean f uh, total honesty i got paid from um you know those guys paid me to help them develop from first light uh, I wore their stuff for years before that, and then that last year they did pay me to help with basically design, things like that, photography. Um, and then with uh, Sitka, I'm not getting paid with Sitka. They do give me uh, camo. Um, but if I was to give my, my no-bullshit honest opinion, uh, the quick version, the first light base layers uh, would be my choice. I like those the best. Um, you know, Sitka doesn't have great base layers. I, I'm not sure exactly what they're working on, but... Um, I wear an icebreaker t-shirt actually that's not a hunting company for the most part is just a regular t-shirt but the uh, the merino wool from first lights definitely better the outer layers from Sitka I prefer um, you know like I like the Chama hoodie um, from from first light I also like the core crew hoodie uh, and the fanatic hoodie from Sitka I, I mean if I had to go buy an intermediate fleece layer right now uh, I guarantee it would be a core crew hoodie I love that thing um, the heavyweight core crew, I've got it on constantly. Uh, I really like that. Um, I like the Halstead fleece from First Light, except it doesn't have a hood. Yeah. Um, it, if it had a hood, I'd be saying I, I'd wear a Halstead fleece qu frequently. But for right now, that core crew hoodie is is uh, unbelievable. I also like like the cold front jacket from from Sitka. But so for outer layers, I would say Sitka. For base layers, I would say um, First Light. And then pants, the Timberline pant for a moderate and cold weather pant from Sitka, I think for me is the top of the line. Um, I don't think it can be beat, uh, you know, for everything that I've tried out. Uh, for lightweight uh, pants, I, I like the Sitka Ascent. It's a little loud. Honestly, the Piranha Zion is a, a hiking pant, and that one's pretty hard to beat, and it's pretty cheap. Um, the Sitka Ascent, though, is a great hiking pant. It's just a little bit loud. And as far as just a silent pant, the First Light Canab uh, is really the quiet, as quiet as you're going to get it. Um, I mean, I, uh, would you agree with that, Frank? Yeah, we were talking about this the other day. Um, for, for mule deer hunting, for me, I really like those Canab pants. They're just, since they're merino wool, they're not that synthetic stuff. They, they don't make that swishing sound if they do rub up on something. So they're they're extremely quiet, and I love those, but... Yeah, I mean, doubling up on what you said, all those, all the pant options and clothing options, I completely agree with. Uh, First Light's got some great merino base layer stuff, um, and then Sitka, just their outerwear is, is kind of unmatched with with a lot of a lot of what they offer. So I, I completely agree, and I love that fanatic hoodie, man. I, I wear that thing all the time. 
Yeah, and I and I wear a lot of Swazi stuff as well, which is um, you know, overseas or whatever. You, I mean, not overseas. It's um, out of New Zealand. I guess New Zealand. Yeah. But uh, I wear a lot of Swazi jackets, fleece pullovers as well. They're really good. Uh, like I said, the Piranha Zion um, is good. But you know what? Uh, as far as um, I don't get too wrapped up in patterns. I do really like that the subalpine pattern from from Sitka. Um, the the Optifade uh, open country is okay. Uh, the cryptic pattern I think probably blends in as good or better than anything that you'll find. Um, the uh, the fusion pattern is pretty good. The cipher's good. I mean, I don't get too wrapped up into camo patterns. I don't know that it really matters. Um, in some for elk, it matters. I think uh, personally, but if you're doing everything right for um, like sheep, goats, uh, mule deer, bow hunting, you know, the ideally they're bedded facing away from when you put an arrow in them. Um, so I'm, I'm not saying a camel pattern does not matter because it does. I don't worry about it as much um, as I do the quality uh, and functionality of the actual clothing or the material. Um, I, I, I will say I am overly impressed with a lot of the stuff I've been wearing from Sitka. Um, you know, this year I beat the piss out of that Kelvin Active puffy jacket. Mm -hmm. You're not going to stay alive in it as far as uh, sitting on the side of a mountain staying warm. But with that core crew hoodie underneath that over the top and then a rain jacket over that, I'm able to make it do just about anything. And then obviously the Kafaru puffy jacket, the Lost Park Parka, uh, it is hard for me not to tell everyone on the planet to buy one of those, not just because I work for the company, obviously, but it just keeps you alive. It is more durable, more windproof, um, warmer than any other puffy jacket that I've used. Um, it's not totally windproof, but the material is colandered, so it does block out the wind pretty dang good. Um, and it's like wearing a sleeping bag. It does keep you alive. Yeah, that's that's probably, people are probably gonna get tired of me saying that, but it's it's probably my favorite piece of clothing. And it's something that's in my pack, I would say 99% of the time, regardless of the time of year, um, is that is our puffy jacket just, you know, it's, it's not the most compressible like down is, but you can always rely on it to, to keep you warm even when you're wet. So, and it's, it's crazy durable and it is exactly like wearing one of our 20 degree sleeping bags. So that's something that's always in my pack. Jeff Lander texted me, wants to know if the Kafaru podcast or Kafaru cast will be in Spanish as well as English. <laughs> oh, good Lord. He's, He's a, a funny jokester. little guy. Yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, um, not that this is related, but I was looking at Instagram just a second ago and um, Zach from Muley Freak, he posted something that said, what does Wasatch mean? He screenshotted it from from Google and it says, I'll paraphrasing here, it was uh, it was an Indian term meaning frozen penis. No way. <laughs> That's what That's it funny. says. <laughs> I think I told Zach I was going to smack the ginger off him the other day. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he's funny. Um, yeah, he is. He is funny. Um Okay, so well, Frank, I've done enough questions. You got anything anybody asks? Um, you I actually get a lot of questions about like predator hunting and stuff. Uh, oh, that's I, all you. I'll shut up. I like predator hunting. Um, so a lot of people ask what call I use and stuff like that. Uh, a couple of years ago, I finally picked up a, a Fox Pro electronic call, and I don't know. I mean, I've I've heard some podcasts and people talk about them not working so well f for people, but for me, it's been a, like a game changer. Uh, I use, I mainly use the Fox Pro Fusion, which is, a. it's about the size, uh, I don't know, like a, 
couple of Nalgene's stacked on top of each other and then like one of those tall Nalgene's long. It's not very big, it's pretty packable. So um, generally when I go out coyote hunting, for the most, for a lot of parts, I, a lot of places I go, I'll just, I'll walk the whole time. I don't drive around and then park and then then set up, but and I'll just, I'll just keep walking and setting up. Um, so it's super packable. But the thing I like about um, using electronic collar is you can set it out 50 or 100 yards away from you and that really takes the attention off of you because um, you know, if, if you haven't hunted coyotes before, they they can key in on your movement like nothing. Like you know, the, you can you can be a hundred yards away from them. They'll see if you're making um, some sort of movement. So, you know, having that call set up um, up upwind of you and then you know a, a ways away keeps the keeps the coyotes focused on the call and, and off you. So I've had I've had great luck with that um, in regards to like hand calls and stuff. Um, I use, I, I'll usually pick up like two or three a year just to try them out. But one of my favorites is the Primos cat's meow. It's supposed to be a bobcat and heat what? call. Yeah, no, I swear it's supposed to be a bobcat and heat call, but you can also do like a super raspy. I want to call you something that reminds, rhymes with prey. <laughs> it's supposed, it's supposed to be a bobcat call, but it makes a super raspy, um, like jackrabbit distress call. And I've had great, great luck with calling them in, um, with the hand call. So I use a little bit of both. I tend to have better luck early in the season with the electronic call just because um, the coyotes haven't been called at. Um, later in the season, I kind of like to switch it up to uh, to a hand call because you can be a little bit more unique with your calls where they've kind of heard all those Did you say calls. hand call? Hand call. Yeah, like, <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, I'm not sure what the joke is here. So uh, uh, that's the kind of the stuff I use. Uh, I've... This kind of probably sound weird if, if you're not a coyote hunter, but every once in a while I'll take one of those um, Mojo Dove decoys out, the ones with the spinning wings. Yeah, yeah. And you can set that above your call. And, um, you know, a lot of times I think coyotes are coming into these these prey calls and uh, hawks and owls and shit. They're always eating rabbits, and that's kind of what they're going to go scavenge is an owl or a hawk kill. I told Dana that I look too much like a hipster today yeah. for the video, and somebody already commented on it. Sweet hipster hair, bro. Yeah, sorry. Go um, ahead. So anyway, yeah, I'll I'll use I'll use a decoy every once in a while, one of those spinning decoys. Anything with motion um, right next to your call, as long you know, as long as it's not a person, um, really helps out really well. Uh, so that's kind of the stuff I use. I really liked the Fox Pro calls. I know there's um there's some other electronic calls out there, but uh, I've had great luck with the with the Fox Pro and. Uh, this is also going to, we'll probably do a, a podcast about this, but um, I used to be on this predator hunting forum. And there's like old traditional guys that are like hand calls only. And then people would post up that they're using an e-caller and they're like, oh, that's using technology. You're, you're a pussy, you know, and I don't know. Uh, you said the P dash 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 word. Oh, damn. Sorry. You're a sissy. Well, anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that the hand calls and the, and the, um, electronic calls have their place depending on the time of year so yeah that's the kind of questions i get a lot of the time um as far as like call swing sequence goes i like to if i'm using the e-caller i'll i'll use like a baby rabbit in distress distress for probably five to seven minutes because it's a it's a lower it's not as loud as like the jackrabbit in distress so i'll use that for the first five to seven minutes then i'll switch over to a louder um adult cottontail or jackrabbit call and then if that if nothing comes in then i'll switch over to like a pup in distress um call and that's generally my my main sequence of calls and if i'm gonna use the e-caller later in the season i'll switch over to like some woodpecker or uh or you bird. Say pecker <laughs> yeah woodpecker 
calls. Um, so that's kind of kind of what that's a brief breakdown of kind of what I like to do. Gotcha. Um, you're not you're not down with the predator the predator hunting though. I'm not down with getting really cold. So I uh, I used to predator hunt a little bit, um, and so I. <laughs> I mean, flat out, I just don't want to be cold all the time. Like, you guys went out last year, it was negative 30. I yeah. went to the gym, yeah, and was. I went and shot my bow. I, I just <laughs> yeah. can't do it. Yeah, negative 30 is pushing. I mean, that's, I don't even, honestly, it was so cold, I don't know why we went. And then uh, we called in thinking. We called in one coyote, and uh, dude missed it. So Who was that that missed? That uh, was the one and only elk, elk pimp. Elk pimp? Well, seeing as he doesn't bring up my name or Grant's name anymore in his stories, yeah, we probably shouldn't bring up his name. As we'll call him the is. guy. The guy, the guy. What, uh, uh, Lander's got a name for him. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, all right, next, next question. Um, so, uh, this will have an answer that's probably not overly exciting, but, uh, a guy, uh, had asked, and this was one I'd saved, uh, uh, Aaron and Frank, what, fishing reel and rod do you guys use for backpack fishing <laughs> and what does your tackle consist of noticed all your photos on instagram and facebook really enjoy them you guys please keep it up um what the hell i think people get a good laugh out of this and De i think Des it was was it desiree on facebook um said we were like joe dirt when he's talking about all the all the fireworks who's yeah. for me uh Whistling bungholes, screaming memes. Yeah, that's funny. For me, like my dad is a pretty big fisherman, but I'm kind of like a redneck type dude. I don't get super into it. So I got like this super cheap Walmart rod. I, I don't even know what it is. Isn't it an ugly stick? No. It's it is a else. piece of shit. Though, it I is will a piece of that. shit. It's missing eyelets and shit. <laughs> um, yeah, I do have a decent reel on it. It's an Abu Garcia brown pride. No, I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> <laughs> I didn't uh, say that people that was Frank and yeah. he is Hispanic. Yeah. Uh Hispanic. Someone told me that once. Um <laughs> probably a Mormon. <laughs> yeah. So I use that and then I don't know, we we use a, a pretty wide assortment of of tackle. I, this year I've had pretty good luck with those uh black rooster tails um if I'm using a spinning rod and then I always rig up a flying bubble and then we just we use a shit, I don't know, 10 15 different flies and just See just what works. Her. Yeah, we just give her. Yeah, and I've got a Dawa. I think it was eighty nine bucks. It's a Dawa four piece um, backpacking rod. And then last year I bought um, a two piece, so Amy could use my my Dawa uh, Saint Croix, um, as I believe what it was. I, again, I I've got a really really I guess. So this is how much of a fisher my it's fast action when it's flexible. I should know this. My rods are really flexible. So like a 12-inch fish feels like a tank on mine. I run three to four-pound test on my spool. Um, I try to run three when I can find spools long enough. Um, or find, you know, it's not like you can go in and, and you can get eight, 12, 10, even six, four, even four-pound of large quantities in a spool, but it's hard to find three. So I generally have four-pound test. I run a super ultra-lightweight reel. Um, and then, yeah, I... We have a we have the basic right like Panther Martins. Um, we we run um, uh, what are the crocodiles like the little flat spoon looking things. Yeah. Um, we'll run like beheaded princes. Cast yeah, cast masters. Really total combined, it fits in my front pocket. Um, 
Frank's yours is the same way. We've got a bunch of flies, a bunch of spinners, a couple bobbers, nothing crazy. The thing that I have found is the farther you hike, the easier the fish are to catch. And so we look like Will Primos, except we're not shooting elk on a private ranch. We're catching fish six, eight miles in, four miles in, whatever it is. Um, and it's just one cast after another. I would guess in some of those lakes, and we caught, we caught so many fish, we got bored of fishing. Um, so... Yeah, sometimes it was literally every single cast. And that's not an exaggeration. Literally every single cast we were catching fish. And just giving her. Yeah, and it sounds funny to say that you got bored fishing, but when you're catching fish every single cast, it's we can only fish for like a day. And they're like, well, let's go to a different lake or something. Yeah, and I mean, we brought Amy this year, uh, who has never backpacked, never been an outdoors person, did not eat um, beef, red meat, or whatever before she met me. Um, but she eats fish. So, I mean, we brought her this year. And so she was like, uh, the cooking machine, uh, the hostess with the mostest. So we were cooking them aluminum foil or on sticks or whatever. Do you remember when she caught that first big fish? Oh, she was dropping F bombs. Yeah. Oh, like, so I, I was over like half asleep taking photos and I can just hear, oh, 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 F yeah, F yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is going on over there? And she was funny because earlier I had put this little tiny, like number 18 or 20, uh, what, what was it? Um, it might've, I think Some it might've sort of been, like nymph or something. Yeah. It was a bead headed brassy, I think. Um, or it might've been a bead headed prince, but, and she, she's looking at it and I'm like, Hey honey, little flies catch big fish. Big flies generally don't catch little fish. Don't worry about it. I've reeled in tanks off, you know, like a 22 midge or whatever. Um, and then she, I mean, she reeled that thing. It was the biggest fish of the weekend, I think. Yeah. Or, what, yours or hers was one or the other. I think she got it that time. Yeah. So, yeah, nothing too, I mean, I would say just, I don't, I've like a five foot, six, six foot, two or four piece. And I wouldn't spend a lot of money on it. Um, I don't go too crazy. And I literally have this little piece of crap tackle box for my spinners and a semi nice, may have been $18 fly box. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, okay. Here's another one. And um, this will be quick because I cannot answer this correctly um, in a short period of time. But uh, looking to get getting into uh, photography in more depth. Uh, how long have you been a professional? I'm not um, photographer. Where did you learn how to? What the hell? Uh, I think he's trying to say take good photos. Should I go to a class for this or can it be learned somewhere else? Anyway, looking at dropping a shat load of money and don't want to buy the wrong thing. Um, okay, so um, I'm actually going to email you back so you can call me for this one, but I'll try to get this simplified. When I first got into photography, meaning I went from a $300 camera to a $3,000 camera, um, Funny story, actually, I went and tried to talk to some of the guys at that worked at the time for a marketing company uh, that actually worked for Sitka. And I walked up to them and I said, hey, guys, I'm trying to you know, get into photography. What should I buy? Um, I really don't know. And the guy said Leica L or something and turned his back on me and walked away. I really wanted to slap that beanie hat off the top of his head at that time. Um, but I didn't get I didn't get a lot of help who was hugely helpful was uh, Stephen Drake. Stephen is an amazing photographer. He gets after it, super good guy. And I've kind of phrased what he told me initially and what I learned in 
great depths with lots of money, spending money on photography. If you're wanting to get into photography and you know you like it, I would say try and spend as much money as you possibly can on something used, meaning buy a Canon 5D Mark III, a Nikon D800, a Sony A7R, something used. Uh, and I would say you're going to, meaning something that was amazing three years ago, that's not good anymore because it changes that fast because that camera is still amazing. Professional photographers three to four years ago were making a living off of those cameras, Nat Geo, everyone on the planet. They, that was the camera to have. So it still takes amazing photos far beyond what you're going to be capable of taking for quite some time. So try to buy a used camera from a reputable source. And then I would say you want to get two lenses starting out, a 35 or a 50. Uh, you know, they, what do they call it? The nifty 50. So like with Canon, they have $189. I think it's a 1.8. has horrible chromatic aberration or edge to edge issues, but by a 50 millimeter and then a wide angle. So you've got you know, night shots for the wide angle landscape, things like that. And then your walk around lens. Most of the hunts I'm on right now, I have an 18 millimeter 2.8. For those of you that don't understand, uh, I'll go into that later, what that means. And then I have a 55 millimeter 1.8. Most of what I do is with that. I think what people are trying to get into photography, um, initially, if you can afford it, yes, buy something brand new, buy the coolest, baddest, nicest, whatever, but you're going to be wrapped up about 10 grand out the gate, six for sure. But if you're going to um, buy something and you can use it for a backup later, get a used camera, used lenses, and kind of find your own path at that point, meaning... Are you going to be a landscape photographer? Are you going to be a walk around guy, an action shooter, a wildlife? Um, for me, I'm too poor to go buy a wildlife lens. I think I would be a great wildlife photographer because I'll just go shoot tame deer at Red Rocks or go up to Estes Park, but I need a, I need more legs on my, on my lens. So for me, I'm more of a landscape kind of everyday guy. Um, but that's what you want to do as far as learning it. Most of what I learned was from a, a guy named Tiber Namath. I was on a, a photo shoot with Vortex with him, and I learned quite a bit from him. I'm a trial and error guy, so I'd Google something on YouTube, look it up, try it out, like nighttime photography. That was just trial and error at 2 in the morning, figuring out how to take photos. I'm still learning a ton. I have done some weddings, and I have been paid for my photos, but I would not say I'm a pro. Pro photographer gets thrown around a lot right i guess you could say if you get paid you're a pro but um how was it how was it uh photographing weddings it's uh so the problem i had one is i had a shaved head when i first went i looked like a neo-nazi um and so i it was funny because um a couple of the bridesmaids were smoking hot and so immediately i'm trying to stay focused because i knew they were single um so i'm trying not to like <laughs> You know, like get back from the wedding. There's like 9,000 photos of the bridesmaids and none of the husband and wife, right? So <laughs> just the um, cleavage. Oh, Lord. And so I, and then I had to dress up a little bit. But, you know, after that, man, it, it actually was super fun. I guess I've done seven weddings so far. All of them have been clients that have actually had me photograph their kids or, you know, whatever come back. And I mean, to me, I didn't know exactly what to charge. I really didn't know how it worked. I kind of copied stuff. I learned from just looking online and gave them a break because I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. Another time I just had them buy me a lens I wanted for photographing the wedding. Um, I, it was okay. I mean, I, it was perfect lighting conditions. You're always a better photographer when it's cloudy. <laughs> you just are, you don't have the light issues. So 
out of the seven weddings I shot, five of them were cloudy. Dude, it made me look like a superstar. <laughs> Even I was like, wow, that it's amazing. Um, so it wasn't too bad. I think the strangest thing, um, I, I guess you could say I've ever, um, you know, photographed or been, been paid to photograph. I had, uh, it was a church group on a hike and they wanted me to just photograph the hike. And then it came to survival. They wanted me to teach them how to stay alive. And the next thing you know, I'm setting up everybody's tents and I got cameras hanging out of me. And then they, then they tried to convert me, uh, to, uh, they to had a plan Pentecostal maybe yeah hardline religion super awkward um I'm just trying not to say the f word right and take these photos but uh but yeah if you're trying to get into it I would say that's a good platform by used and then if you know somebody that takes good photographs around you I would just start picking parts and pieces off of them learn as much as you can but it's something you definitely have to learn um uh, I would say the functions of your camera first and what f-stop means what shutter speed means what iso means how those work uh, and then once you learn that you can learn when why where what to make the adjustments um i'm more of a photographer than a videographer um you know and I, it's super addictive i mean i honestly if i had to choose between keeping shooting animals and shooting photos it would be difficult for for me not to lay the weapons down and just take pictures of people hunting. I like it that much. I love ph photography. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but I'm emailing you back so you can call me. Um, uh, I'll get a couple more here and we should probably get off. Um, Aaron, I noticed you use a couple different stoves this year, but have you several in the past? Um, it looks like Brian used a jet boil and Frank has used a reactor. Uh, what would you suggest this? So this guy's talking about backpacking stoves. Um, Frank, why don't you chime in? Cause I know how you feel about the one you use and I have the same feeling. So go ahead. Um, yeah. So like I was saying earlier, I'm kind of like a, if it's not broke, don't fix it type guy. Uh, I, I used to use a jet boil, but when I got that reactor, I've never, honestly, I've literally never had one issue with the MSR reactor stove. Um, you know, I've, I use it at high elevation, never had any issues with boiling water and, you know, whatever, even, even I'll heat up the, the tent with it every once in a while, but you got to be careful with that. But, um, we do not suggest or condone that here. Yeah, I probably cast, shouldn't do although that. Although we do do that. Yeah. It's not, it's very smart. <laughs> you could die, but I've had great luck with it. Um, it's, it seems to be bomb proof as well. It's really well built. Uh, I've literally never had one single issue with it and I've had it for, gosh, I don't know, four or five years. Um, so, you know, brief, Brief summary. I just I love it and don't plan on changing. Honestly, it's not the lightest out there, and I know there's a lot of lighter options, but uh, it's something that I can rely on. So I'm gonna keep on using it. So yeah, I have same opinion of the reactor. Um, I don't use it all the time, but I t when the rubber meets the road and I need something I know won't break, I take the reactor. That's what I took for this 30 day trip. Not that we were backpacking in all the time. Um, I also use a uh, Sunto Windmaster. I believe it's or Sunto. Ha <laughs> ha. That's the watch um soto soto yeah. windmaster and an ever new cook set it's lighter it is um easier because i have two cook pots um but I, again you're kind of starting to pick fly shit out of chili on some of these stoves like guys get super crazy about them or whatever i generally take uh this the soto windmaster and the two cook sets when i have people going with me specifically um or um if i'm trying to go super like uber lightweight 
but it's only a difference of like three ounces. It's not that much. If I had to go buy one today, it would easy choice. I would get the MSR reactor uh, by far. Uh, it's just it's just better built, better performance than anything else I've used. You can throw it off a cliff. I I wish I I hate jet boils. I, I do not like the company. I do not like my dealings I've had with them. Um, I don't think I would say they're they're. I don't know if they're anti hunting. They're certainly not pro hunting. Um, so I'm I, again. They break frequently. The igniters always break. Yeah. Um, I'm just not a fan. So definitely the MSR reactor. Um, let's see one more question. Let me read through some of these and find a good one. Um, well, this is a general one, but Frank, this is good for you and I. Um, Aaron, looking at going on a mule deer hunt in 2018 in Colorado. Uh, not looking for a honey hole. Everybody <laughs> says that. Just general area. <laughs> What type of tactics do you use? Uh, should I bring a spotting scope? Uh, should I camp above tree line or below? Really don't know what I'm doing and need some help. Um, that's funny. I, f- I feel like uh, us especially just because we're in the outdoor industry, that that's something we hear all the time is um, I'm not looking for your honey hole, but can you point me in the right direction? Or And, you, and some people just straight up ask you, where were you hunting? Um, that's not very cool to ask. No, but go ahead, Frank. I know you and I hunt the same way, so lay it on them. Drop some knowledge. Um, yeah, I I highly suggest bringing a spotting scope. Uh, I feel like that a spotting scope and then a, a tripod and binos on a tripod or something that's kind of a necessity. Um, you know, the mule deer a lot, a lot of times tend to bed down in some in some thicker whatever what are those trees called up there bristle cone or yeah bristle yeah. cone the little patchy um, bastards and sometimes you're you're just you're just spotting the antlers uh so you know high quality optics are are definitely something that i would highly suggest um for spotting high country mule deer i generally for the most part try to camp um right at timberline or just above it uh for the main reason of uh lightning and wind cuz when you're up there you know at the top um, you don't have a lot to protect your shelter, so it might blow away. Um, but I mean, you know, basically I try to, uh, get up, you know, before sun up, get to my glassing spot, glass up as many deer as possible and see which one I want to target. Uh, you know, watch if you have the option to pattern them over a couple of days, that's definitely more beneficial than going straight after them. But if not, then, you know, you put them to bed. Um, make sure they don't move to a secondary bedding spot. And then I like to always come in from the top or up above um, and have them facing away. Wind is something that's super important. Uh, one thing that you had given me a couple years ago were those uh, wind floaters. Those are awesome. They're like little cattails or whatever. You know, they're like the little pieces of cattail that when you explode one, they just fly everywhere. Um, so they're be- for like mule deer hunting, they're better than just your your standard squeeze powder wind wind indicator stuff because you can watch the thermals and stuff and watch the wind direction because a lot of times the wind will be blowing up and then it'll swirl back down um dude or or even the opposite at first light in alberta i pulled those things out because it seemed like the wind was blowing down to this buck and i'm like dude it can't be i was like it it can't i chucked that thing in the air and literally 40 yards straight down and it took a 90 degree right turn and shot straight into the sky. And he was like, I like it. I like <laughs> yeah. it. Everybody knows. Uh, Dude, the, kitten- cr- the crazy thing about those is they don't like, there's their mar- they have like no marketing. So nobody knows about them. The first time you showed me those, I've never heard of them. 
Dude, and they're, uh, they're money. I, yeah, I had to order. I ordered us some this year from Amazon, and like I had to go through like three different places just to find someone that was carrying them. So, if you're listening, market better. Yeah, definitely. I mean, because all it is is like a fiberglass looking cattail thing that floats. Yeah. Um, in a little small Copenhagen type container. I've thought about making my own and putting them in like a chew container. Mm-hmm. They are. Are they needed for elk? Probably not. Not unless you're in the high country, but. The way that the wind works on sheep, goat, and uh, mule deer hunts, it is amazing what you can get away with if you can drop one of those and see where the thermals and the wind and everything is working together. Because a lot of times you'll think the wind's blowing right down to something. You'll throw it out. It'll shoot down 10 yards, and then the thermal pressure will blast it straight vertical into the air. And you know that maybe you can get another 10 yards, 20 yards closer, um, which is which is vital. But Yeah, just so that's kind of a little breakdown of the stuff I like to do but um yeah I think coming from sometimes you you only have the option of coming from below a, a mule deer but that generally doesn't work out too well no I would say things not to do um one don't camp in the freaking basin no, never never do that. ever walk in the basin don't camp in the basin I've wanted to shoot arrows at people that set up their tent in the middle of the basin because that basin is where they eat they drink, they hang out, and you're shitting on that. So don't camp in the basin. Um, I personally try and camp as high as I possibly can until I run into wind issues. If that means there's a divot at 13,000, 12,5 that I can get in and there's no wind problems, I'll camp there. If not, I'll try to camp at the last patch of trees where I have good egress to get out to a glassing point. Pretty much probably the same thing that Frank does. Yeah. Um, I try to never stock a moving buck. Um I've heard guys, Mark Smith says he doesn't mind doing that because they're eating and they're feeding. I like to shoot them when they're dead asleep. Um, personally, I'm not a, you know, I've, I've probably only shot, I don't know, 15, 16 mule deer uh, bucks, but um, it's much easier to stock on them when they're asleep rather than feeding. That's not to say you can't get on an ambush point and whack the shit out of one, but I try not to like move while they're moving. Uh, if at all possible, it's much easier for me to shoot them while they're laying down. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I think you were talking about one time you were elk hunting and the guys were moving up into, uh, into where the elk were when the wind was blowing up and then they were coming back down when the wind was yeah. blowing down. So keep, keep good attention of, of wind patterns. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, <clears throat> you know, with age or whatever, become more patient. Some people are born with it, but, um, I try not to ever push an issue that I think will be there tomorrow. Meaning, if I see a deer um, that I can pattern that night and watch where it comes out, where it feeds around, or I can watch it all day, if I think it's going to be there again tomorrow um, and I'm unsure of the stock, I will certainly wait until the next day knowing a much better plan of attack rather than winging it. Sometimes you can't do that and you got to just go balls to the walls and just give her. Yeah. But for the most part, if I can watch, um, and again, it's not like I'm an epic trophy hunter either. A lot of times... Um, you know, on these hunts or whatever, especially like elk hunts where I tag out like in the first 15 minutes of season, I watched them the night before season. I saw where they came out. I watched them the, the morning before season, saw where they came out. So that was just there when they came out to feed and I shot one. I mean, it's literally that it was that simple as long as I knew the wind. And as Frank brought up, if you know the wind, you know where they want to eat, sleep, drink and have sex, you are going to kill them as long as you pay attention to the wind. Um, it's no different than a human, not to oversimplify it, but as long as you know truly where they're going to eat and sleep and drink, 
um, those three things. And when they're in the rut where they're going to fornicate, you are probably going to be okay if you don't do anything stupid and push the issue. You know, the, the wind can end the hunt pretty quickly. Yep. So, all right, we're like an hour into this thing, so we should probably cut her off. But, uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in. We'll try to do these answer question things frequently. Um, so, yeah, whatever you got, send it to our emails, Aaron, A-R-O-N, at kafaru.net, and Frank, F-R-A-N-K, at kafaru.net. Send them in, and we'll try and answer them as best we can. Don't forget to eat your spam. Don't forget to eat your spam. This actual Kafaru cast is brought to you by Copenhagen, Torts, Spam, and Cholula. <laughs> yeah, that too. You don't like spicy sauce. food. <laughs> yeah, I don't like spicy food. All right. Thanks for tuning in. All right. See ya.